Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Brisbane podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us in a series we've titled Paradox, A Different Way to Live. In this series, we will uncover the profound truths hidden within these seemingly contradictory statements as we embrace the challenge to follow Jesus' footsteps and be a catalyst for change in our world. We pray that this message is a blessing. Today's Bible reading is coming from Matthew 17, verses 14 to 20. Uh, The healing of a boy with a demon. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. O unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed from that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. This is the word of the Lord. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, hello, everybody. If we haven't met before, my name is Aaron, and I am trying not to let this very sturdy stand fall over. Um, Yeah, I'm the creative pastor here at New Life, and it's a real joy and real honor to uh, share the word with you today. And um, yeah, if this is your first time, welcome to family, welcome to community. We believe that uh, this is a place where you can belong, find friendships, find connection, but also I believe this is a place where you'll find God, uh, a place where His Spirit moves powerfully, and uh, we meet with Him regularly here and through Monday to Friday. So if you're new, connect in, be a part of our community. yeah, it's just a great time. Uh, and I was debating whether I would do this or not, but I, I will. Again, if you didn't believe the guy on the screen, conference. Uh, conference, conference, conference. But, but genuinely, like, I've heard a few people go like, oh, I haven't heard of this speaker before. You know, it's at the Gold Coast. It's a bit far. Uh, one thing I've loved about New Life is we're not interested in just creating another conference with huge keynote speakers to fill a room, but we actually believe that renewal is a really real thing. Uh, We actually want to see it in our time, in our nation, in our denomination. Uh, And so we're picking people who we think actually have something to offer us as a church, offer us as a community that can really speak into this concept of renewal. So with Jossie talking about discipleship, we have Jesse Rose talking about worship. And now I believe these are two really important ingredients in what it's going to look like for us to see renewal in our church. And so just just come. It's, it's going to be really good. And if it's not, it won't, that won't happen. So just come. Uh, and we'll stop talking about it next week. We'll probably just be talking about how good it was. So yeah, be, be in the room. It's going to be really good. Uh, I have the pleasure of finishing off our Paradox series, A Different Way to Live. And today we're going to talk about the paradox of faith. Uh, what does that mean? And so before we go any further, um, I've had a big week, walking into a big week. I'm nervous, haven't preached in a while. So why don't we ask for God's help uh, so that we all can get through this next few moments. So Father God, we just thank you that you are alive and you are active in our midst. 
Spirit of God, I just thank you that, um, yeah, your words are louder than mine tonight. That more than anything I could do, more than anything I could be, God, you are everything that we need and so much more. So God, open our hearts afresh to hear your voice, to hear your spirit, to be open to something new, God, to be challenged, to be confronted. God, we don't just want to sit in a building, but we want to encounter your presence this afternoon. So come, come, Holy Spirit, make this your dwelling place. Make home in our hearts. We want to hear you. We want to see you rightly. God, we love you so much. Come and have your way. Amen. Now, in my neighborhood, uh, I have a lot of door knockers. Now, I live in Red Hill, uh, which is a lot of hills, and you'd think that would scare them away, but for some reason, they keep coming. Uh, so, you know, you have the, the good old salvos that come knocking, and you have, um, yeah, what else do we have? We have Canteen Foundation that come around often. We have Mormons coming around. We have the mechanic who has the once-in-a-lifetime deal that if you sign up today, you will save money for the rest of your life. Don't sign up. Um, you, you know, we have school students, and if we're lucky, you know, it's going to be Christmas in July. They have that Freddo Frog, yes, Freddo Frog fundraiser box. Do we know what we're talking about here tonight? <laughs> I'm clearly very excited about Freddo's. Um, and, oh, it's just the best knock. So I'm, I'm going to borrow an analogy to start off our sermon today. So if you're like, wow, that was a really good analogy, not mine. And if you're like, wow, Aaron, horrible analogy, not mine. Um, and so imagine with me, you're sitting inside my house. Um, I've just made you do this wonderful, exquisite flat white using the official uh, coffee machine of New Life Brisbane, Jewel Boiler, for those playing along at home. And, and we're sitting on our flat white, and we're looking out the window, and there at the bottom of the driveway is two school kids. And long and behold, what they have in their hands is just music to my ears, water to my soul, one of these bad boys. And I'm excited. You know exactly what I'm going to do. My wife knows exactly what I'm going to do. I know exactly what I'm going to do. No matter the price, no matter the amount, no matter what's inside that box, like we all know what I'm going to do when that person comes and knocks on my door. And we look out the window and at the bottom of the driveway, we actually see these two school kids having a conversation. And one of them's like, oh, you know, should we knock on this door? Like, will they actually buy something? I don't know if it's worth it. Like, it's a pretty long driveway and it's a pretty long hill to walk back up if he says no. And the other kid's like, what, are you kidding me? Like, this is Red Hill. The guy's probably going to buy the whole box. Like, there's going to be no chocolates left. Like, this is going to be worth it. And, yeah, come on, oh, man, I would, yeah, Aaron knows what I would do. Um, and one kid says to the other one, he's like, I've got an idea. If we just hype ourselves up enough, if we keep saying he's going to buy it, 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 and we, we get to the front door, he's going to buy it. There, there's no room for error. And uh, the, the other kid looks at him, he's like, mate, that is ridiculous. Like, there, I'm sure he will spot us walking down the driveway, and as soon as he does, he'll make his decision long before we even reach the front door. We can think and we can muster whatever we want, but it's not actually going to make a difference. Now, call me dramatic if you want. Candace has done it before, so it won't be the first time. Uh, but this feels hauntingly familiar to the way that we actually talk about faith. 
Even me saying this word sparks a whole different range of emotions in our hearts. Some of us are like, yes, faith, I'm excited, I'm all about it. And other of us have shivers down our spine and we think of moments or encounters that we've had with this word before. You or yourself or, or someone might have said to you that simply, if we believe enough, God will do it. If you have enough faith, whatever we ask for in the name of Jesus will happen. Uh, and, and if it doesn't, it's because it's the measure of your faith. Maybe you didn't have enough. Maybe you need to believe more, hype yourself up more, say a, a bolder prayer, say it a little bit louder than you did previously. And if, we, if it doesn't come to pass, that is a measure of our faith. And what that does is really unhelpful because it actually pushes us away from prayer altogether, thinking that God has actually already made up his mind. Why bother? What's the point? But again, at the very same time, we come to these two these passages in Scripture that kind of sit on either end of the spectrum. One side that's like, ask whatever you want in my name and I will do it for you. And then we, we look on the other end of the spectrum like we will today, and uh, we see that if you just have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Faith. Faith, what is it? What's its role? Tyler Stanton has this beautiful quote, and he says, So many of us are in on the theory, but we don't live like it's true now today because our experience in the Christian life is hollow when we hold it up to the promises of Jesus. Faith, what is it? What's its role? And the question that we've been asking this whole series is how does it make us live any differently to now? So why don't we jump in? Matthew 17, verse 14. If you have your Bibles, feel free to have it open in front of you to make sure I'm not making this up. Uh, Verse 14, it says, When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Here we have Jesus, Peter, uh, Jesus, Peter, James, John, just had to do my counts there, Uh, coming down from what we read in Scripture is a moment of transfiguration, a moment on the mountain where they have just encountered the tangible manifest presence of God. And they're now heading down the mountain where they see the rest of the disciples in this almost spiritual scuffle that they don't know how to get out of. But this isn't the first time we've actually seen this image in Scripture. Uh, Moses comes down the mountain in the Old Testament. We see he's come down the mountain after encountering God with two stone tablets in his hands, the Ten Commandments. Yet lies at the bottom is Israel worshipping a golden calf, caught up in idolatry. And so here is Jesus pulling this very familiar scene uh, that would have been for the Jewish readers in from the Torah into a very real present moment for them. And so we see Jesus, three disciples, descending the mountain, and there they are met with what Mark would describe as the large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And after such this spiritual climax, they are met with the tragedy, the need, the failure of our everyday world. Just a moment, imagine what that would have been like. Imagine being on the top of a mountain, encountering God like never before then coming down and see those people who you would probably hope to carry, you know, a, a little walk a little bit differently, act a little bit differently, arguing in a scuffle. Like, what's going on? And there they met with not just the disciples, but a man, a father, clearly in distress, and he falls to his knees and he begs Jesus to show mercy on his son. The passage says that he has seizures and he's suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire and into the water. 
And now just quickly here, some translations uh, translate, some translations translate this word uh, into, they, they name it as epilepsy. And I think it's really just helpful to note that when, when we look at the, the root of this word, uh, what we actually read is this word moonstruck. And what does that mean? Why is that helpful? Well, it, it kind of describes how the boy was acting. So he would, his behavior would kind of wax and his, his sanity it would wax and wane with the phases of the moon. Uh, and, and I think this is helpful to point out because often, uh, not often, sometimes in church and sometimes in uh, ministry practice or translations, we, we can tie things like a medical condition to the demonic powers. And I think it's really helpful just to note that this is, that's not what's happening here. This, this is something different. And so rather than these violent, destructive seizures uh, indicating, uh, I believe they, sorry, they indicate more than just an illness, but a power that comes to seek, kill, and destroy. And now at this point of the passage, it could be pretty easy to think that this is about a spiritual warfare. And this is kind of like an opening remark on Jesus's deliverance ministry. But <laughs> as we read on, this is actually not the case. So we go to verse 16. It says, I brought him to your disciples. This is the father talking. But they could not heal him. And so, again, Jesus descending from this exalted time of communion with God, faced with the problem, not so much of the illness of the boy as the ineffectiveness of his followers. Red-faced disciples, distraught father, suffering son, chaos reigns. The man is like many today. He longs to be behind the representation representatives of Jesus, but whom he is disappointed. I wonder how many times we too have been disappointed with the people that God has placed in us being uh, disenfranchised or pushed away from people of faith, not because of something that God has done, but because the people of God have done. And I wonder if that's what the Father's feeling. Again, disappointment. I I tried to go to people who claim themselves as Christians and look where I am. Let's keep moving. Verse 17. You unbelieving, perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. I don't know about you, but when I read this, I was like, wait, hang on a second. Is this the same Jesus? Like, this seems a little bit like harsh, a little bit outlandish, a little bit like he's just leashed out onto his disciples. Is this the meek? Is this the kind? Is this the gentle Jesus that I remember? Like maybe he's a bit hangry after his long walk down the mountain. Like maybe he just needs a Mars bar. Chill out a little bit, brother. Why is he so harsh? Again, let's recall the imagery that we we thought about of Moses before in Exodus. And um, in in Exodus 32, Moses says, uh, pulling this what am I saying here? Yeah, he pulls the same picture, sorry, into the picture that we're reading now. And uh, so this, again, this image and this, this reaction from Jesus isn't something new. would have been familiar to the Jewish readers. But when we, when we look at it closer, Jesus isn't angry, like I said before, about the state of the boy. He's not thrown off by the desperation of the father, but he's frustrated by the faith of the disciples. The word perverted uh, is this, pers- is this passive um, word of the Greek verb meaning to make crooked, a mishappen. And it, it implies corruption or distortion of something to the point that the object is no longer useful. So think about that. I'll just read that again because I think that's going to be really important as we move forward. It implies the corruption or distortion of something to the point that that object is no longer useful. 
Interesting. See, the disciples were empowered to draw upon this authority, to advance the kingdom of heaven, and instead they failed miserably by their lack of dependence on his power. This was a symbolic uh, picture that we actually see of Israel as well. This wasn't you. This was a reoccurring thing. So Jesus, out of his deep love for us, he actually gets frustrated. Frustrated again because we miss it. We miss the point. When will they believe me, Jesus might be feeling? When will they trust me? This is not something that you need to carry on your own. In fact, it's actually nothing to do with your power and it's everything to do with mine. I have the power to give you. I have the authority, my power, my authority. Don't try and make this about you. You can almost hear this exhale from Jesus at this point. Bring the boy to me. Bring him to me. See, Jesus endured their unbelief. Jesus endures our unbelief. Because how often do we try and take the reins and give it uh, Give it to everything but the power and authority of God. Our world is actually littered with these almost, these things that almost fill the gap. We seek wisdom, we seek understanding, we seek sympathy, and these things in and of themselves aren't wrong, but they almost fill us up. But, but here, like, have we sought Jesus on that? Yeah, I, I sought this friend's counsel, I sought their understanding, but have I sought Jesus on that? Man, I feel comforted by this thing, but actually, God, have I, have I come to the Prince of Peace himself to seek that? Bring the doubt to me, Jesus says. Bring the pain to me. Bring your financial instability. Hey, you know that relationship? Yeah, I want that too. That addiction that you can't seem to shake, bring that to me. Your insecurity, your shame, your anxiety, bring it to me. And no longer does Jesus' reaction kind of seem outlandish, seem wild, kind of feels loving. It, It changes the whole tone of this. Bring the boy to me, Jesus says. And, and suddenly feeling like a deer caught in headlights, the disciples say, uh, Jesus, why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we drive it out? Were we, did we do it wrong? Did we not follow the steps, the formula that you showed us? Why didn't it work? And why couldn't the disciples? Like, did they not believe God could do it? Had they not seen a healing or a miracle before? Well, in fact, they actually had seen many. And they'd been a part of seeing many miracles. And, and so it was more that they weren't shocked that there was a miracle, but it was like they were shocked that it didn't happen. This was different for them. Because earlier in Matthew, at the beginning of chapter 10, Jesus had just commissioned them to take part, like partake in this very task. Verse 1 reads that Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave him the authority to drive out the impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. And then again in verse 7, that as you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely, freely you have received and freely you give. Why, Jesus, they ask. Jesus' reply to the displaced disciples wasn't one of deep theological rigor. It wasn't a teaching manual on how to cast out the tricky spirits. It wasn't this new height of professional discipleship, but rather it was faith. In verse 20, we read that he replied, Because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it 
will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. What is Jesus saying? Like I said, on on one side of the picture here, he's saying you had little faith. But then right after that, he's describing you just need to have a little bit of faith. What is he saying? Friends, again, this passage is not about the quantity of our faith. Jesus isn't saying that it didn't work because you didn't have enough faith. He's saying all you need, all you need is the tiniest bit of faith. But in who? In me. Have have the smallest bit of faith in me. Jesus is highlighting, again, like the repeated behavior of humanity, that we have been caught, we've caught a vision of something good, but slowly and surely we write ourselves into being the main character. We were never asked to measure our faith. The volume of your voice, the bold requests are not the measures of your faith. Faith is never and will never be about you. It always has been and it always will be about Him. It's always been about Him. And I think so often in our Christian walks, we have made faith out to be disguised as courage, disguised as boldness. And I could be wrong here, but what I see Jesus highlighting in this passage, and I believe highlighting for us here today, is that uh, faith, faith is about surrender. Faith is about intimacy. It was the missing step from the disciples' prayer ministry moment, and I think it's often the point that we miss too. So I want to remind someone here today that our power is actually made perfect in his weakness. His power is made perfect in our weakness. Because we have turned faith into something that we can bring to the table. That, that if I believe more, increase my hopes, maybe then but faith is going, I have nothing but you, Jesus. Your power, your authority. And so when I pray in faith, I'm believing that it's him who will do it. Why? Because he's faithful. He's faithful, not me. Bring the boy to me, Jesus says. Stuart K. Weber writes that if such a limited faith could give a follower of Jesus the same power he had exercised with his words, then the same power should be available to the follower to command a demon to leave a boy. In fact, with this limited faith in God's infinite power, nothing will be impossible for you. The issue was not quantity of faith, but quality of faith. And it's interesting because this term little faith in the Greek is uh, it's an interesting word and I won't even try to pronounce it because I'll absolutely butcher it. And it's actually the only place in the whole Bible that we see it. Um, but it doesn't actually refer to a lack of faith. It, it refers to a person whose beliefs aren't expressed in a way that distinguishes them from the common life of an unbeliever. It means it's passive faith. Passive faith. Why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus is saying, because your beliefs aren't distinguishing you from everybody else. Another quote says, faith doesn't mean believing that God exists. Faith means that we're willing to follow and obey the God who exists. And you can start to hear and feel Jesus' frustration now when you look at this chapter. Because, again, if we look at the next chapter and uh, the next chapter of Matthew in chapter 18, they're still asking, like, Lord, who's going to be the greatest of the kingdom? And again, Jesus is like, guys, you're missing the point again. I don't think your faith is here. Deny yourself. Follow me. And I think we embody the same systemic problem. Our walk with God has not gotten to the size of a mustard seed. 
We're still concerned about ourselves, and we're, we're focused on the impressions that we make to people, the words that we make to people. We're writing ourselves into be the main character of the story. Paradox, a different way to live. What's our invitation? Well, if we look at verse 21, you're like, what? There's a verse 21? There's a verse 21. Uh, some of us, it might have a little number, and then you look down, a little footnote in your Bible. Um, and this is the way that it is, because when they put together the, the manuscript of Matthew. Um, it wasn't in the, er, the earliest or the oldest uh, manuscripts that we have, and so they weren't 100% sure that Matthew wrote this, but we know it's part of the story because it's in Mark's gospel. And so you're like, I don't know if Matthew wrote it. It's a part of the story, so I think we should take it into consideration today. And so if you're looking for it, it might be the down, down the bottom of your Bible. If not, feel free to flip to uh, Mark. Um, And I'll find what it says, because that's helpful for us today. And it says, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And so these are two things that we've spoken a fair bit about at New Life before. And there's some incredible teaching on our podcast about it. So if you want to hear more, go to there. I won't do it justice here. Um, But I think these are really important, because it raises for me the question anyway, that wouldn't have the disciples prayed? Like, wouldn't they have prayed when they tried to, to heal this boy? And I think, again, Jesus isn't implying a quick pray and claim moment. He didn't beckon the boy and then stop to meditate for a moment. But I think what he's talking about, again, is intimacy. I think it's surrender. I think Jesus is saying the best way to have access to me, to my power, to my authority is to have intimacy with me. Is, and it's through regular and consistent prayer. Not the, the two minutes before we go to bed and we close our eyes to sleep, but I think he's talking about a lifestyle of prayer. I think he's talking about the moments where we want to linger in his presence daily to know his voice, to know his heart. Martin Lloyd-Jones pulls all of this together brilliantly, and he says, it's not your prayer that's going to do it. It's not you who is going to do it, but God. How often do we seek the the satisfaction of worldly things to fulfill our needs? Jesus again is saying, guys, your life looks no different to anyone else's. He brings up fasting because fasting is this habit or this discipline that weans us off the things of the world and pushes us deeper into relationship, into intimacy with him. Because uh, I don't know about you, but how often after a long day do we turn to wine than rather turn to God? How often after feeling lonely do we turn to social media or staying up late gaming with our friends? How often after disappointment do we turn to the things we can control that we can seek gain over? Because prayer and fasting, it's actually a different way to live. The disciples had likely begun to look at their ministry as a mechanical thing, being dependent on their own ability instead of God's. And Jesus pointed them in a different direction, saying that the way of trusting in his power, by telling them in their faith that it only needs to be the size of a mustard seed, Jesus was urging them to focus on the object of their faith. A little bit of faith in God can accomplish great things. Because, friends, I think the invitation is to learn afresh that it can achieve precisely nothing without sincere dependence on the Lord. What is faith? I think faith is relational belief. I think it's daily intimacy. And I think it's regular surrender. Remember the image of the the Fredo Frog box, our two school friends that are debating uh, descending our driveway in Red Hill. 
How was one kid so short that if he reached the front door of the Moore household that I would purchase the chocolates? Well, this boy is actually a family friend. Uh, We are friends with his parents, and he actually comes over all the time. And he knows that every time we finish dinner, I always ask, now, who wants dessert? And so back to the scene, the the two kids reach the front door, and you better believe I'm buying half of the box. Uh, And the other boy walks down the driveway, and he's like, how did you know? How did you know he was going to do that? How were you so sure? And in my own life, I feel like that's how I viewed other Christians, Christians who have lived different lives to mine, who have lived lives of faith. How did you just pray and then that was miraculously given to you? How do you walk with such ease, not concerned, not crippled by the opinion of man? But in the same way, the boy I knew, knew I'd purchase the chocolate, shouldn't we know, be known by the same way by our faith? Oh, I knew they'd be loving when I told them this. Oh, I knew I could just ring them when I felt like this. Why? Because when we are, live our lives differently, we grow our faith to the size of a mustard seed and we begin to learn God's heart, his intentions. And friends, God does the impossible through us. If we want to see breakthrough, it comes by prayers of faith, intimacy with God, him being our one desire. If the band wants to come up and join me as well. If we want to see renewal in our church, in our nation, in our denomination, it begins with faith, intimacy with God, Him being all we need. Again, if we want to see breakthrough, it comes by prayers of faith, intimacy with God, and regular surrender. Faith, relational belief, surrender, intimacy, it's all about Him. Bring the boy to me, Jesus says. Why don't we stand to our feet this afternoon? Feel free to just close your eyes wherever you are. And just start to center ourselves on him. What he might have stirred within you this afternoon. We're going to sing a song called Jesus at the Center. Uh, We're going to sing that for a little bit. And then I'm going to come up and we're going to just have some moments of responding to what Jesus might be doing in our hearts. So let's just engage in this moment, kind of limit the distractions that are going through our heads. What do we need to bring to Jesus this afternoon? Tell me sing the song for a little bit and um, we'll, we'll press into prayer in a moment. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you would like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.